I'm Andrew Smith. This is Today in Church History, a place we're reminded that history is truly his story. History is the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. Today is Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. But on this day in history, July 10th, 1553, Lady Jane Grey ascended the throne of England to become her queen. She is known simply as the nine-day queen because she only reigned nine days before Bloody Mary, the new queen of England, put her to death. Henry VIII was the king of England. His first wife was a woman by the name of Catherine of Aragon. Catherine was unable to provide a male heir for Henry. This was troubling because he needed a son to take over for him when he died to become the king of England. King Henry VIII went to the Pope with a request. He desired his marriage to Catherine to be annulled so that he could marry another woman and perhaps she could give him a male heir and therefore his son could become the King of England once he died. The Pope simply refused this request. This, of course, led to the Act of Supremacy, where Henry VIII essentially separated from the Roman Catholic Church and started his own church that we call today the Church of England. Once King Henry VIII died, his son, Edward VI, became the King of England. But Edward didn't live long before he himself died. This then left Mary, the daughter of Henry VIII and the daughter of his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, to be the next in line to be the Queen of England. She was intensely Roman Catholic, like her mother Catherine, and we could probably say that she had somewhat of an axe to grind against the Protestants who had rebelled, and particularly against her father, who had divorced her mother. But there was another lady by the name of Lady Jane Grey. Shortly before Edward VI's death, his counselors, along with his assistants, made an arrangement in which the next person to sit on the throne of England would be Protestant. This led, of course, to Lady Jane Grey being the one nominated to be the Queen of England. Now, we must admit that even some Protestants were against Lady Jane Grey becoming a queen. Obviously, not because she was Protestant. That would have been to their advantage. But because the people of England believe very strongly in the bloodline. And Lady Jane Grey was the daughter of Henry VIII's sister. She was really not in line, genealogically speaking, to become the Queen of England. Nevertheless, she became the queen. Now, just a couple of interesting facts about Lady Jane Grey. She was only 16 years old when she ascended the throne. She reigned for nine days, and she was martyred at the young age of 17. She was an extraordinary young lady, teaching herself Greek so that she could read the New Testament and interpret it. We also have an extant letter that she wrote to Henry Bullinger, a great Protestant reformer of her day, in which she is asking him how to best tackle the Hebrew language, because she wanted to understand Hebrew and to be able to read Hebrew so that she could read and interpret the Old Testament. So we understand that she was a lady armed with Scripture. Now once Mary, otherwise known as Bloody Mary, uh, challenged Lady Jane Grey to the throne and actually got on the throne as a result of her armies and some victories that they had, she sent Lady Jane Grey to the Tower of London. The Tower of London was the place that many Protestant ministers were sent before they were eventually executed. Mary was intensely Roman Catholic, and she wasn't happy about the Protestants. She enjoyed putting them to death, hence her nickname, Bloody Mary. But it was there as Lady Jane Grey, this young 16-year-old set in the Tower of London, that Bloody Mary sent to her one of her archbishops, a man by the last name of Feckenham. 
Feckenham entered the Tower of London with the intention of debating Lady Jane Grey to try to get her to recant her Protestantism. Now, in the course of this conversation, he ends up bringing up the Eucharist, that is, the celebration of the Mass, or what we as Protestants would call the Sacrament of the Lord's Supper. He argues with Lady Jane Grey that in eating the bread and drinking the wine, one is literally eating salvation literally eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. This is Lady Jane Grey's response. She says, and I quote, I ground my faith on God's word and not upon the church. Now right here we just need to stop to point out the fact that Lady Jane Grey is solidly affirming one of the principal teachings of the Protestant Reformation, and that is sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the Christian's final authority, not the church, not councils, not tradition, not any declaration the Pope makes, but it is simply God's word. She says here that she grounds her faith on God's word and not upon the church. She goes on to say, For if a church be a good church, the faith of the church must be tried by God's word and not God's word by the church. It is an evil church, and not the spouse of Christ, but the spouse of the devil that alters the Lord's Supper and both takes from it and adds to it. To that church I say, God will add plagues. Shall I believe this church? God forbid. End quote. So once again, Lady Jane Grey's theology was tied to the central motto of the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura. She goes on to say in her response to Feckenham these words. She says, and I quote, Faith only in Christ's blood saves us. End quote. Now here she is affirming sola fide, that is faith alone. And she is affirming solus Christus, that is Christ alone. She says faith only in Christ's blood saves us. It's not as we participate in the Eucharist. It's not as we eat the bread and drink the wine. It's not as we uh, confess our sins to a priest. It's not through our baptism. She says, faith only in Christ's blood saves us. So in this short quote, we see that she affirms sola scriptura, that is, scripture alone is the Christian's final authority. She affirms sola fide, that is, faith alone, not based on good works, is what gives us salvation by God's grace. And she's also affirming solus Christus. That is, it is Christ alone. It isn't the church that saves. It isn't the pope that saves. It isn't the prayers of the saints that saves. It is Christ's blood alone that saves. She's affirming here the substitutionary atonement and the effective nature of it to save sinners if they have faith in Christ. Now, I want to read a letter that she wrote just a few hours before she was taken from the Tower of London to be executed. She wrote this letter to her sister Catherine, and in this letter we see these principles of the Reformation pop up again. She writes, I have sent you, my dear sister Catherine, a book. On the outside it is not trimmed with gold, but inside it is worth more than precious jewels. It is the book, dear beloved sister, of the law of the Lord. It is his testament and last will, which he left to us poor sinners, and it will lead you to the path of eternal joy. If you read it with a good mind and follow it with an earnest desire, it will bring you to an immortal and everlasting life. It will teach you how to live and how to die. It will give you more than you would have gained by the possession of your poor father's lands. If God had prospered him, you would have inherited his lands in the same way. If you study diligently this book, using it as a guide for your life, you will inherit great riches that the covetous will never take from you, the thief will never steal, and the moth will never destroy. Desire, sister, to understand the law of the Lord your God. 
live to die, that by death you may enter into eternal life, and then enjoy the life that Christ has gained for you by his death. Don't think that just because you are now young, your life will be long, because young and old die as God wills. Strive then, always to learn how to live. Defy the world, deny the devil, despise the flesh, and delight yourself only in the Lord. Repent of your sins, and yet don't despair. Be strong in faith, with humility. With St. Paul, desire to die and to be with Christ, with whom, even in death, there is life. Rejoice in Christ, as I trust you do. Since you call yourself a Christian, follow as closely as you can in the steps of your Master, Christ Jesus, and take up your cross. Lay your sins on His back, and always hold Him near. As for my death, rejoice as I do, my dear sister, and consider that I shall be delivered of this corruption and put on incorruption. For I am sure that I will, for losing a mortal life, gain a life that is immortal life. I pray that God will grant you this life in His time, and will give you His grace to live in the fear of Him and to die in the Christian faith. In God's name, I exhort you never to swerve through hope of life or fear of death from this faith. If you deny his truth to lengthen your life, God will deny you and shorten your days. If you hold faithful to him, he will prolong your days to your comfort and his glory, to which he is bringing me now and will bring you later, when he is pleased to call you. Farewell again, my beloved sister. Put your trust only in God, who only must help you. Amen. Your loving sister, Jane Dudley. History is truly his story. It's the story of God and the demonstration of His glory in the theater of world events. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Today in Church History as we chronicled the life of Lady Jane Grey, the daughter queen of the Protestant Reformation. In order to access more episodes, you can visit my website, www.heartaflame.org. You can also search for me on Apple iTunes by simply searching for Today in Church History. Remember that history is spelled H-I-S hyphen S-T-O-R-Y. That's H-I-S hyphen S-T-O-R-Y. Until next time, I'm Andrew Smith.